I don't know how this Faith and Doubt series has struck you. Um, it's interesting, as I was uh, reading through Lauren's poem that she wanted to share, and, and that we asked her to, if she would be willing to, to share some of that with us. And uh, as I was thinking about that, it just brings me back to uh, David and his psalms. And if you've spent any times in the psalms, you hear a lot of what you heard just there in Lauren's poem. And I'm sure you felt that as well in your life, where you make these statements and these cries that at the end of the day you know aren't true, but it's the reality of how you feel. God, are you there? Are you listening? Do you want to help? Are you going to save me from this? And you see in so many different psalms where David lays that out as well, but then he comes to this point in this realization where the Lord is good, and the Lord leads him to this realization that I am still God, and I love you, God says to David. You saw that shown so beautifully in your poem, Lord, so thank you for sharing that with us. I don't know how you connect best with God, how you best connect with his truths for some of us, uh, your bookworms and simply getting your nose in the Bible just reminds you of who God is and his promises for your life. For some, you need the music playing in the background or you, need, you, know, you don't get very far reading because uh, you start jamming along to that praise song, uh, whether it's actually playing in the background or just in your head. Maybe that's how you're reminded of the truth of God and his promises. Um, maybe it's through hearing uh, the word of God taught or hearing a sermon. It's through conversation with a, a trusted brother or sister in Christ. There are all kinds of different ways that we can uh, connect with the truth of God. Sometimes it means when you share it with others. When you sit down and say, hey, can I share what I'm learning? Or can I, can I talk with you about what I'm struggling through? Maybe you're a journaler who, who writes down their thoughts and their prayers. For some, poetry is a powerful tool in connecting with the promises of God. If you have not done this before, I, I would encourage you to give it a shot. Either writing your own, putting your own heart, the cry of your heart on paper. If you're not ready to write your own, spend some time reading those who have come before. Spend some time in Psalms and reading the heart of those who, who genuinely walked this road of faith. And we can see their struggles, we can see their doubts, and how when they sought God, He was faithful and brought them through them. What a beautiful picture. Well, today's. Uh, Weekly parking lot update truly speaks for itself. If you've been here uh, in the past couple of weeks or even the past couple of months, if you've been here before, uh, you can see we've got some work done. Um, so that's definitely an exciting time to, to see that coming together. Um, <coughs> the week to come will hopefully bring things like more stone as they kind of lay out the stone across the entire parking lot, uh, as well as some concrete islands and some concrete walkways. Uh, it's not likely that we'll have asphalt by next Sunday, um, but who knows, that's always a possibility. Uh, but so continue to see that take shape in the ground. We'll continue to get graded out and smoothed out and get some seed in the future weeks. Uh, the one thing I, I do want to ask uh, is just, I just want to remind you more so, uh, it is technically still a construction site. Uh, and so once you check out, especially when you check out your kids from Children's Ministry, uh, just be mindful of that and just remember that as well. Um, Friday night, two nights ago, we had our, our family fall fest. And I just want to give up uh, some huge thank yous first. Uh, a huge thank you to those who served in any capacity, whether you brought stuff or, or uh, helped kind of keep things moving throughout the night or helped clean up or any hand you, that you had, uh, whether you were on an official roster or just kind of chipped in. Thank you to all those who served. Uh, thank you to all those who invited, who invited your family and friends and neighbors to come and join us and be a part of that event. Uh, everything we do here at Meadowland comes back to our vision of seeing lives changed by Jesus and disciples of Jesus made. And so one of the reasons we do events like that, we just open up uh, 
some place to come and gather and have a great time and invite people free of charges because we want people to come and get to know others in the church. We want them to come and know, hey, this isn't some crazy cult that's going to make you drink Kool-Aid and, and wear Nikes and white robes, but this is, hey, we're people struggling through life as well. And, and we're broken and hurting just, just like you, but we found our Savior in Jesus because we found that he is true. And we just want to share that with others. And so thank you for those who invited and really took advantage of this opportunity. Thank you to everyone who came out. It was a great night. We had some amazing weather. Uh, one of the most common stories I heard was probably from the 35 people that came last week, or I'm sorry, last year, and we had despicable weather. Uh, last year it was a downpour. Uh, it kind of was one of those things where like you got out there and then decided to pour. Um, so it was a downpour. There were tornado warnings. And so pretty much the weather was so amazing. It was a stark contrast from last year. And so that was one of the, the popular stories we, I heard many places. Um, our best guests are probably about 120 people out there. Uh, it's hard to get a, a solid count, but thank you so much, everyone who came out. Um, and just as we press on and see lives changed by Jesus and disciples of Jesus made. Uh, for those that, that did meet someone new, hey, invite them back. Invite them to come in, in, into your life more in greater capacity. Come into Meadowlands life as well. All are welcome. Well, as we wrap up our Faith and Doubt series, I want to ask a, a question. Would you consider yourself a skeptic? Do you consider yourself to be naturally skeptical about things? In many ways, I do. Um, I don't find awe and wonder when it comes to magicians. And, and there's a new kind of category of magicians called clairvoyance. Have you, have you seen any of these? Magicians and clairvoyance. I don't find awe and wonder about it. Now, I do find it interesting, and I do kind of marvel at the skill and the tricks that they've honed. I mean, some of these are very impressive. You know, there's very few that I actually know how they do them, or sometimes I know how they do, how they do them, but I don't know how they do them. Meaning, oh, it was a trick. Somehow he palmed the card I don't know how or when or where or what he was able to do with it, but somehow he got the card from A to B. Well, obviously. Um, <coughs> but I'm skeptical of those things. Um, I, I know there's a trick, even if I don't know what the trick is. I don't believe the claims of infomercials. I don't believe the claims of in instant weight loss plans. And I am skeptical of any product that feels the need to use shady sales tactics. If you come to my door and ask to see one of my bills because you're not from the, that company but you just want to see that, no, I, I'm, thank you, have a good night. If you have something that's really worth selling, hey, come right out with it. Just lay it on me. I, I'm, I'm naturally skeptical about those things. When someone claims the ability to do something extraordinary, I need to see it to believe it. I don't believe that you can do a double standard flip with a twist while doing your taxes until I see it. I, I just, I'm naturally skeptical on, on things like that. Now, this is not to say that I don't believe in anything. If you're skeptical, it doesn't mean you don't believe. It simply means that you desire evidence to support your beliefs and your convictions. You, you want to see something that backs it up. And sometimes, you know, there, there's varying degrees of skepticism, right? Sometimes it's like, okay, well, you showed me this. You did a single backflip, but I'm still a little skeptical. I, I need to see the whole thing you're claiming to be able to do. And we, we set up these kind of markers or these milestones. Hey, you got to hit this point, and then I'll believe. And then I'll believe. If you consider yourself a skeptic, the follow-up question we need to ask ourselves is, what kind of skepticism do you have? As I thought about it more, I, I really began to see there's almost two different avenues that we can walk when it comes to being skeptical. The first one is this. The first one, I think, is probably the more common, where we, we truly desire to know truth. We truly want to know what is true. 
can that thing really cut off five minutes off of my food prep by being able to chop an onion in, in, in 20 seconds flat? Can, can this stuff really hold up the claims that it claims to be able to do? And what we'll address some of those potential questions a skeptic, skeptic might have on faith uh, in the coming moments here. But the other kind of skepticism really isn't a, a true skepticism. It's more a defensive facade to protect a certain way of life. I want you to hear me on this. It's more a defensive facade to protect a certain way of life. Here, here's what I mean. Truth changes things. As we discover the truth, it changes things. Especially if what we used to believe to be true is different than we found out is the actual truth. That brings about a change. It requires a change. It asks something of us. Let me give you a case in point. <clears throat> if I came home and told my wife, hey, I got you some flowers and led her to believe, I bought these flowers just for you. I was thinking of you. You were on my mind. I love you. I want to do something nice for you. I bought you these flowers. That would probably invoke a certain kind of response from my wife, right? Now, say she came to find out that I was taking the train home because I was doing something down in the city, and the guy next to me had a bouquet of flowers, and my train stop was before his, and he nodded off. I grabbed his flowers, got off the train, and said, hey, I bet Sarah would love these. That changes things. That didn't happen. Hypothetical. Don't worry. That <laughs> changes things. If the truth of how I got those flowers is revealed, that, that would change. All of a sudden, it's not, oh, thank you. It's, what, what are you doing, you goofball? Don't steal things for me. And, and if you would be impressed by that, we have other issues we need to talk about. See me afterwards. We can work through those. God is good. If you say to someone, I, I love you, or and I think you're beautiful because you want to, that's very different than you say, well, that's what I'm supposed to do, right? I'm supposed to say I love you and, and I think you're beautiful. It, it, the, the truth of the why changes things. Something I say here often at Meadowland is that Jesus changes everything. He makes some amazing claims, and if they're true, it changes everything. If he is God, then what he says matters in our lives. It requires something of us. Following Jesus requires that we surrender our will to God's, right? And so if you have this second kind of skepticism where you don't really uh, want to say, I believe that, or I'm, I'm skeptical of this truth, I'm skeptical of that truth. For some of us, again, it, it's, we truly want to know what is true. And we want to just have that check in place. Okay, does this hold weight? Hold water. Is there truth to this? But I think others of us, sometimes when it comes to our skepticism, we don't want to know the truth. We're putting this defensive facade up to say, no, I'm just I'm, I'm a skeptic. I just don't think you can know some of this stuff. But truly what we're saying is, I don't have a belief issue. We're saying I have an obedience issue. I don't want to obey the truth. I don't want to know the truth. I've, I've kind of built my life the way I got it. And I'm enjoying that. And so if that's where you find yourself, um, that, that may not be a belief issue that you have, but an obedience issue. Now we're going to focus on uh, the first. Maybe you even have both as well, but that's okay. We're, we're going to focus on the first. We're going to focus on those who struggle to believe. If you've got your Bibles, so you go ahead and open up to John chapter 20. That's where we're going to be here as we close out our Faith and Doubt series. John chapter 20. <coughs> and we're going to meet a fellow skeptic. These are the closing chapters of the Gospel of John, chapters 20 and 21. At this point in John's narrative, um, Jesus has died, he's been buried, and he's rose again. And he's begun to reveal himself to some of the disciples and some others. And so the word is getting out. We see Peter, and we, who we believe to be John as well, are at the empty tomb, and they see the linens that were left 
behind. Mary Magdalene, uh, Jesus reveals himself to her and she believes. And we're going to see here that the disciples have gathered together in a room. They got the door locked and they're freaking out. They're starting to hear a few of these responses. I'm sure Peter and John have said, hey guys, Jesus is risen. We saw the empty tomb. We saw the linens laying there on, on where his body was laid. <coughs> but they're, they're freaking out. So John chapter 20, verse 19, this is what takes place. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, basically they figured, hey, we're Jesus' followers, and they just killed Jesus. What's going to stop them from coming after us? So they're, they're afraid. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. I love that's all that John says. Yeah, we're, we're in this locked room, freaking out, and all of a sudden Jesus is with us. All right, pretty awesome. He says, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with, be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Try to put yourselves in the emotional state of the disciples. Try to, try to imagine what they were thinking and what they were going through. For the past three years, they've been following this man who they believed was the Messiah. The one that their holy books foretold hey, would come and save your people. And, and at this point in history, they're under Roman rule. They're not free in their own country even. And so they thought Jesus was going to come and kick some Roman butt. But all of a sudden, after this Passover celebration, Passover meal you celebrate together, you see Jesus betrayed. He's falsely accused and tried. He's severely beaten. He's sentenced to death on a cross. He's crucified. He dies, and he's buried. Now all of a sudden, you begin to hear these murmurs. Some say, no, no, he's risen. And all of a sudden, you begin to think back on, on some of the things he said that you dismissed, where he said, he basically predicted his death, that he would die, and three days later, he would rise again. But there's still confusion. Did, did he really just do that? But all of a sudden, now he's standing before you. He's showing you the wounds in his hands and, and, and the cut in his side. He's saying, peace be with you. And then he commissions you. I, I love this. He says, I, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And if we keep on reading, he says, he, he breathes the Holy Spirit out upon them. This wasn't something that would happen all the time. See, from our vantage point, we think about the Holy Spirit being uh, dwelling in believers, and that's, that's kind of an everyday concept for those who've been following Jesus. Because we've learned that when we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of us and, and, and works in us in all kinds of different ways, convicts us of sin, encourages us in the promises of God, leads us in His ways as we seek Him. But prior to this, it, it was kind of an uncommon occurrence that the Holy Spirit would come upon someone and move through them in various ways. It's all this amazing, exciting stuff. God is saying, peace be with you. He sent them out. Hey, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. You are on a mission from God. How cool is this? This is wild. The Apostle Paul actually gives us in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, a full record of, of all who saw and, 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 and believed. See, John is really unpacking here all these stories of those who saw the risen Jesus and believed. So Paul unpacks even further in verse, uh, beginning of verse 3 of chapter 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's referring to Peter, uh, then to the twelve, referring to the disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive at the time of his writing, obviously, uh, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, uh, the brother of Jesus, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. I'm kind of jumping the gun here, but we're going to be talking about uh, some answers to some of our, our questions, some of the things that we'd be skeptical about. <clears throat> and I love here that, that Jesus didn't just reveal himself to one person at one time in one place, but in multiple places at various different times to many different people. Jesus reveals himself. This isn't just something that one person made up in their mind. Hey, I'm going to say I saw Jesus alive. But this is a mass number of people over a series of places and a series of times who are seeing the risen Jesus. All right, jump back to John chapter 20. Basically, the atmosphere in the room has got to be one of these, kind of a little bit of confusion, a little bit of, of, of concern because this is so wild. But I've got to imagine there's this, this flush of, let's do this. Come on, guys. Yeah, he's risen. We, we, we had it wrong. We thought he was going to kick Roman butt, but no, he died for the sins of mankind. And even that's something that they didn't fully grasp, but they still thought that as applied to the Jews, and they're going to see as the church unfolds that no, Christ was, was for the Jews and the Gentiles, Gentile being just non-Jews. It was for everybody. And there's got to be this electricity in the room as Jesus stands before them and says, peace be with you, and gives them the power of the Holy Spirit. But someone's missing. Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Quick side note on that. Uh, we're not sure why he was called the twin. I think logic would say he probably had a twin. No point in the scripture to say here's who it is. It could be kind of like calling the big guy tiny. Here's a guy who has no siblings. Let's call him the twin. I, I don't know. It's just saying Thomas was known as the twin. <clears throat> and he wasn't there. He missed out on seeing what the others saw. Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So basically after this incredible moment where Jesus appears to them behind locked doors, at some point they realize, hey, Thomas isn't here. We've we got to go tell Thomas about this. And they tell him, and he says, you guys are smoking something. Unless I see with my own eyes, unless I, I, I can put my hand in the wounds of his hands and his side, then I'll believe. And because of this, he's been given this name, Doubting Thomas. What would it take for you to believe? If you've been following someone around for three years and, and seen the things that Jesus showed his disciples and said the things that he told his disciples and all of a sudden he's dead, what would it take for you to believe he was alive? See, I think Thomas gets a bad rap. I, see, I, I think he's just probably in the same steps that we would be ourselves. I think in reality, a, a better name to know him by is didn't check his email and miss the Evite to the party, Thomas. Or maybe it wasn't something he didn't get the word. Maybe it was, need some time alone to sort things out, Thomas. We don't know why he wasn't there. But what's interesting is what he's asking for is what the disciples themselves have already received. He's making this crazy claim. Jesus already appeared before them, and they got to see the hands 
in the side. And, and that's what Thomas is saying, hey, that, that, that's what I want. He simply wasn't there, and all he's asking for is what they got to see, what they got to experience, because Jesus' death really shook him up. He was disoriented. His beliefs were rocked. Unless I can see, and he kind of adds this extra element, unless I can see and touch, I'm not going to believe. He wanted more than to simply to see, but he wanted to be able to, to hold Jesus in his hands, embrace him. And so he, here he is establishing the conditions by which he would believe. He's establishing the conditions by which he would believe. See, I, I believe Thomas is walking a journey that's familiar to many, to many of us because we're skeptical at heart. I think many of us uh, are. I don't know if I can go as far as to say all of us are, but maybe in some way or another, we've all experienced some kind of doubt, some kind of skepticism. And I think Thomas is simply walking a road that we'd be walking ourselves. For some of us, as we look at the story of Jesus, some of us at one point in our lives have believed that Jesus is God. But then something shook your faith. Something happened that, that overcame your belief to the point where you said, you know what, I, I, I don't know if I can believe it and you've walked away from your belief or maybe you just feel lost in questions maybe you haven't walked away from it you're still exploring you still think yes I think Jesus is God but you're so lost in the questions that you have because something what happened in your life that shook your faith maybe some kind of health issue maybe something with one of your kids maybe just a, a job loss or you just look at the condition of our world you look at the tragedies happening in and around us on a daily basis <clears throat> and you just wonder, how, how could this be? How can a loving God exist if all this stuff happens? Maybe you're still going through the motions of, of being a Christian, but you're like, you know what? I, I, I don't think I believe. So I think that's some of us there. I think some of us have heard these things before. We've heard about Jesus, but we've never come to a point of belief. We've never said, yeah, I, I've overcome my disbelief. We're at a point where we're like, no, that there's still this, this one thing, whatever it is, I, I can't get past this. I think others still ha haven't even heard about Jesus yet. And if that's where you are, if you're in that, that boat, we're like, hey, you know what? This Jesus stuff is so new to me. I'm, I'm just trying to get, get it all figured out. We are so glad you're here. This is a place where it's safe to ask questions. It's safe to not know because we'll walk together as we seek answers. It, it's safe to say, hey, can, can we talk about this? Or what about that? We're not afraid of the hard questions, even the hard questions that, that we can't answer because we know our God has big shoulders. And so if you're at a place where you haven't even heard yet about Jesus, we are glad you're here. We want to share him with you and tell you all about him. We want to tell you about how he claimed to be God and then he proved it. We can read about his miracles. We can read about raising someone who is dead back to life. We can read accounts of, of where he predicted his own death, his own resurrection, and then delivered on both. If you weren't already impressed by the fact you could raise others from the dead, being able to predict your own death and resurrection and raise yourself from the dead, that's got to stand for something. For me, when I see that, I'm left with the only conclusion that he is God. <clears throat> I even think there are those of us who believe that Jesus is Lord and God but we can still relate to a lack of belief. We believe that there are doubts, there's, there's roadblocks to growing in our faith. Maybe even you hit a roadblock at, at a young point in your life where you continue to grow as a child, but your faith 
didn't. Maybe all of a sudden you, you discovered something or found out something that you thought to be true that wasn't. Maybe someone had misinformed you or, or your understanding, your picture of God was faulty. But you were never shown the tools and the resources to, to discover who God is and overcome that doubt, that roadblock you hit, stopped your faith, and it hasn't grown since. And, and now you have bigger questions and bigger challenges, but you don't have the faith that knows how to find those answers. If you believe that God was a kind of God who's like a cosmic vending machine, hey, whenever you need something, just pray to God, and He's going to give it. If you were taught that, you were taught a faulty view of God. If, you were, if you're under the mindset that God is a, is, a, is a kindergarten teacher God who's full of warm fuzzies and, and hugs and, and, and happy to give you a nap time when you need a break from life, you were given a faulty view of God. Sometimes no, no one gave this to us. It's just we, we didn't get the whole picture. And, and there's all these uh, ways we can view God sometimes. We say, well, no, the, this happened in my life and that didn't match up and it, it stopped my faith. If we didn't have the tools or, or the people to go to or, or the strength to, to press on beyond that, we continue to grow, but our faith didn't. And here we stand today with ill-equipped to deal with the questions of today. So it's no wonder that these doubts feel so huge. If you've walked away from believing, if you feel lost even in your belief, or if you've even never believed, can, can you at least relate to Thomas a little bit today? Can you relate to where he is? I have to see it to believe it, guys. I got to see it. Unless this happens, unless I, I can put my hand uh, and feel his wounds and see for myself, I, I'm not going to believe. What is that one thing for you? What is the roadblock that you've hit that, that, that stunted the growth in your faith? What is that roadblock that you've hit that caused you to walk away? What is that roadblock that you've hit that leaves you lost in questions? Unless God reveals this to me, I, I can't go any further. Unless he answers my questions about blank, what is it? I want to address two questions. We don't have time to get into all the possible different questions that could be out there. Um, and if I don't address one that, that you have that, that's heavy on your heart, please talk to someone. Come talk to myself afterwards or, or anyone sitting around you. We are a church that, that loves to do together. Find someone who walk that road already they'll be happy to share what they've learned what they know about god if you happen to talk to someone who's in the same boat as you and they say hey, i have no clue uh, you can walk together as you pursue to find the truth to strengthen your faith as you deal with that doubt but i'm gonna address two of them um, i also want to point you to a, a resource <coughs> i'm just going to skim on some of these we don't have time to really dig into them uh, but there's an entire series that andy stanley's going through at north point church called who needs god and he's taking some flack because in some of these weeks, he doesn't get into the Bible much. He doesn't really get in the Word of God. And part of that is because of who he's specifically speaking to. He's put this series together. He wants to speak to those who are skeptical even about the church and about the Bible. And they've walked away from all that. And so he wants to address all those. And in the series as a whole, yes, he gets the Word of God. He builds on the Word of God. He values the Word of God. But he addresses these questions or these doubts that so many may have. And so if this is something like, hey, you still have some big doubts even after this morning. You want to explore that more. One resource I'd point you towards is northpoint.org. Uh, you can go to their messages section. And the series is, is a current one they're just wrapping up called Who Needs God? So the first question I want to look at here this morning is this. I think sometimes the roadblock we face, it's not so much a question as much as an issue. 
The roadblock we face is this. I can't believe in a good, loving God that would allow such pain and suffering. Is that a roadblock you ever felt? A roadblock you ever hit in your faith? I can't believe in a good, loving God because of such pain and suffering. First of all, we need to, we need to acknowledge that it's mostly us here in the comforts of America that really struggle with this. There, there are so many in hardship worldwide that do not find this issue of pain and suffering so offensive as to short-circuit their faith. Why is that? Well, I think in part because they know that the pain and hardship of this world is actually the very proof of the existence of a loving God. What? Where are you going with this thing? In fear of oversimplifying it, think of it this way. The shadow proves the sunshine. What's one way you can prove there's a sun? The fact that there's a shadow. When something blocks it. Our God is a God of love and pain and suffering as a result of an absence of love. Okay, well, Steve, you said that's because of an absence of love. So that means that there isn't a, a, a good loving father. Actually, no. It doesn't prove that. Because God's love is one that is offered, not forced. Because a forced love is no love at all. Think about this. If you're married, think about your spouse. If you're not, think about a sibling or think about a parent. Think about a friend, a close friend, someone who you just love in your life. Imagine they came up to you and said, hi, I'm so-and-so, you're going to love me. How, how would that work out? You know? Or, or, you know what? I've loved you all these years because my mom paid me. She told me to love you. You know? You didn't have many friends, so, you know, Whatever. Uh, is that love at all? No. It's not love if it's forced. It's not love if it's not a, a genuine desire from the heart of the one who offers it. And so a loving God is one who offers us love and the opportunity to love him back. And when the offer is made, there are some who don't choose it. And, and even for those of us who do choose it, we fail at it in many different ways. There's this thing the Bible calls sin that takes place where we fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of the life he would have for us to live. And so when we look at pain and, and suffering in the world, and I know for those of you that this is like one of your big issues, hey, this is why I can't believe, or this is why I can't grow my faith, is because of this. I, I don't expect you know, two minutes and, and a quick little saying about shadow proving the sunshine. I, I know that, that might not be enough, and I, I get that. That's why I put you to the resources, there's other resources out there. But please, keep digging into this, because the more we do, the more you, you, you engage in this, I think you'll see that the pain and suffering you see truly does make evidence and proof of a good and loving God. You can even say, okay, well, well that, that's fine. Maybe, see, I'll give you that one when it comes to the, the garbage in this world that we cause a, as humans, you know. So uh, when someone attacks someone else or those kind of things, we've afflicted it upon each other. I'll, I'll give you that one. That proves that there's still a good, loving God because some people choose not to follow him because his love is offered, not forced. I'll, I'll give you that one. But what about the pain of natural disasters when a tornado comes through or when a hurricane comes through and many lose their life and they're suffering because of that? What, what do you say about that? And again, some of these questions, I, I don't know if I can truly give a full answer to say, yeah, here's something that, that will you know, end the argument or end the debate. But there's some evidence we can look to to see, yes, there's still a good and loving God. One of the places we can look is in Romans chapter 8, where Paul outlines that 
Not only are, are we affected by sin, but creation, the world, is affected by sin in this world where there's decay, there's things that break down because of sin, because man chose not to follow God's way. It has an effect on our surroundings as well. And I know that's only a, a half answer to the full question, but I also look and see, and, and so many times when there's tragedy, natural disasters, earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, so many times when there's things like that, I see the following Sundays, churches that, that are full, parking lots that are full, Bible studies that, that, that are springing up as people are saying, hey, this just showed me and reminded me that I don't have control, that I'm not, I don't have power over this world, and that I need God. I've been trying to do life on my own, but then this major disaster happened, and it showed me that I have a need for God, and it drove me back into his arms, and it reminded me of the need for that. It's like when you're a kid and, and you're playing on the jungle gym and you want to try that one implement that, that you haven't had the guts to try and maybe you shouldn't have had uh, because you weren't quite ready for it. And, and you go and you, you over, overstretch yourself and you fall and you get hurt and then you go running to mom and dad and, and, and they pick you up and they just hold you and it's that reminder of, okay, yes, I, I need you still. I'm not ready to do this on and, and when it comes to the relationship between us and God, we're, we're never ready to be God. <laughs> He's in that position. And so hopefully that helps for those who are, are skeptical about a good in God because of the pain and suffering of this world. Hopefully we can see that it actually proves the existence of one. And thankfully, there's an eternity that's free from that. That, that what, the pain and garbage and suffering that we see now is not the end of the story. There is the eternity to come when we trust in Jesus. I, I love this mindset. Think about the timeline of eternity. Have a starting point and a line that doesn't end. And the first little blip of that, that's now. Compared to all of eternity. And so in the now, we're dealing with the effects of sin and brokenness. And yes, yeah, sometimes it's not our sin that we're dealing with. It's other people's sin that have an effect on us. And sometimes it's our own garbage. Sometimes we're not sure what caused it, but we see it. But we know there's a God who is faithful. There's a God who is sovereign. There's a God who is bigger than the garbage we're going through. Who we can run to, who will hold us and say, don't worry, I got you. I love you. I'm God. And will bring us through to eternity. Another possible question you may have if you find yourself uh, to be a, a really strong skeptic and uh, maybe there's one thing that says, hey, until this is figured out, I can't go any further. Maybe this is it for you. I can't believe because I can't believe everything in the Bible. Maybe you've come across something in the Bible and you say, well, I, I, I can't accept that. That's, that's just too out there. So I, I guess I've got to put the whole thing aside. If you've talked about Jesus, been to a church, or heard a sermon, it's very likely that you've heard or even used the phrase, the Bible says. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with what we're sharing. Hey, here's what the Bible records. But <clears throat> what we need to see is that sometimes we get it backwards. Sometimes we get it out of order. It's not the Bible that should lead us to believing in Jesus. It's Jesus that should lead us to believing in the Bible. Because the Bible is a record, is a collection of the stories of Jesus' life, of the church that he started and commissioned to go and continue his work. 
And then the story of the people which he came out of. The Old Testament, New Testament combined is the central figure, the central story, the central point is Jesus. Now for some of us, this may sound like blasphemy. Steve, what are you talking about? I'm not diminishing the value of Scripture. I'm not diminishing the Bible. I'm not saying it's less important. I'm elevating the person of Jesus. Because so much of what we know and learn comes from the Bible, and sometimes we forget that. So if that's you, if that's the struggle you have, if you say, you know what, I can't believe in Jesus because there's parts of the Bible I can't believe, I want to show you some things. First and foremost, from an accuracy standpoint, from an accuracy standpoint, the Bible is the most accurate book we have in all history, in all antiquity. We have the most copies of, of the various writings throughout time, throughout history. They're the closest to the original date from when they were written. There are so many other documents that people look at without question that have a fraction of the manuscript evidence that we have for Scripture. So from an accuracy standpoint, we can trust what we read. You may say, Steve, but aren't there, um, uh, um, I'm blanking on the word. <coughs> Hi. How you guys doing? That was a major brain fart. Pardon? Aren't there disagreements? Aren't there places where they don't match, where they don't line up? Man, this word is just evading me. Contradictions. Give that gal a donut or a free coffee. Awesome, thank you so much. We can edit this part out of the, the online version, right? But aren't there contradictions the Bible people say? Well, first and foremost, no, there really aren't many. And the few that we do find today, um, what's interesting is if you have a Bible, a good study Bible will have this, and even ones that don't have the study aspect, they have little footnotes. Every time we've come across a part of Scripture that you find in some of the old transcripts, but not all of them, they'll say, hey, this only is in some of the transcripts we found. And so we're not sure if this was part of the original manuscript or maybe it, was, it just wasn't recorded initially. It kind of helps us walk down that road. And there's few of those. And out of all of them, none of them are, are, are mission critical. None of them, are, are, none of them change the narrative of, of Scripture. And where there's other smaller ones, it's in non, inconsequential words. And a lot of times it's due to different translations. As we go from one language to another, do you translate word for word? Do you translate thought for thought? If you're doing thought for thought, do you do sentence by sentence or paragraph by, se or by paragraph? How do you translate from one language into another from this set of words and vocabulary into this set of words and vocabulary without losing the heart? And so you, can, so you say, why are there so many transitions, translations? Well, it's because different translators have taken a different approach to how they translate the original text. And even with all that, we have an accurate recording of what was originally written. And so we can trust what we read. But here, here's what I really want you to hear. More importantly than the fact that we can trust the Bible. If you struggle with some of the things that you read when you read the Bible, know this. For over 300 years before this book was assembled, people were trusting in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. For over 300 years before this was assembled, people were trusting in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Why was that? Because there were men and women who saw and believed. And it brought about life change in them. And, and there was fruit from their lives that was evident that they believed Jesus lived, died, and rose again. 
And they told others, and those others believed. And yes, you had writings to the various churches, and those writings were circulated that taught about Jesus. And, and eventually, in about 350 A.D., those writings were brought together in what we know as the New Testament. And then also that time they said, hey, we should pull the Old Testament in this as well. Why? Because it's fun? No, because Jesus referred to the Old Testament. Jesus supported the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. And even at that point in history, it wouldn't be like every single Jew has their own little pocket Old Testament. They wouldn't call it that. They wouldn't call it their own holy book. They, they wouldn't, it wasn't something that was easily uh, reproduced. There wasn't a printing press. And so this was a big ordeal to gather all this together. And so even in that time, before these writings were assembled together and said, hey, here's the Old Testament, New Testament, people were still coming to know Jesus. Why? Because the Bible is a record of the amazing things that happened. And those things happened before it got written down. Those things happened before it was put in the way that we know it today. So if you struggle to believe in a massive flood, a huge ark, and two of every animal peaceably living on that ark until the floods receded, if you, if you don't buy into a young earth creation that the world was created in seven days, that's okay. I, I know many Many believers who trust in the Lord with all their heart who are on different sides of this debate. Some would say seven days, young earth. Some would say seven eras, points of time, old earth, and even a few other theories in there. If you struggle with certain Old Testament passages, as we should, there's some difficult passages throughout Scripture, but especially in the Old Testament, we can see that Jesus values the Old Testament. He refers to it and he fulfills it. And so, yes, let's learn from the stories that are recorded in the Bible. We've got to make sure, first and foremost, that we start with Jesus. So if you struggle with, with believing everything that's in this book, start with Jesus. And look at who he is and what we know about him to be true. So how does Jesus respond to doubt and skepticism? Let's go back to John chapter 20, verse 24. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. So they've gathered again together, and Thomas was with them. All right, someone got Tom. Make sure Thomas comes. You know, oh, we're getting together again. I don't know what's going to happen, but make sure Tommy Boy is there. <laughs> Although the doors were locked, so they're still kind of freaking out, even though Jesus has appeared to them, has said, I, I send you on the mission my, my, my father sent me on. I've given you the power of the Holy Spirit. They're still kind of freaking out a bit. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, I love this. It's like, Jesus knows what's going on. Oh, Thomas, all right, let's chat. Let's have a chat, bro. I know, I, I know your heart. I know what's going on. He turns to Thomas and he says this. Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus goes straight to Thomas and grants his request to see and to touch. He does not diminish his request. He does not rebuke him for his doubt or his skepticism, but he offers Thomas an opportunity to verify the truth that he heard. Why? Because Jesus was true. What he did is real. There was no fear in Jesus that, oh, they might find out that I'm a sham. Because he knew who he was. He was the son of God. And so he said, come and see, Thomas. Come and see. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. This is really gets, to, I think, to John's point in sharing all this at the close of his gospel, at the close of this good news he's sharing about Jesus. 
He wants us to hear Jesus' words. Uh, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, John gets it. John gets it that seeing is believing. He knows that. That that was his story, right? He was one of those disciples who saw firsthand. And that's the story of many others that he's just gone through and shared in John chapter 20. But he also gets it. That out of all of history, that there are very few who had that opportunity to see Jesus firsthand. And that those who will come (coughs) at this point when he's writing down the story of Jesus, he already knows that that's all already happened. And Jesus already ascended. And so there's no longer for people to see Jesus firsthand. How will they know? You know what? We've got to tell the story. We have to tell the story of those who have seen. And we have to share those stories. Why? So that they can and believe that Jesus is Christ. So what will we see that will help us with our doubt? We can see the life of Jesus. We can see that he predicted his death and resurrection, that he delivered on it. We can see the life of those who witnessed firsthand. We have a list of it in John chapter 20 and 1 Corinthians 15. We can see the fruit of their lives as it reveals a life change where they go from a group of disciples cowering in a room with the doors locked, afraid of the Jews, to where they are going to the ends of the earth preaching the gospel to the point where in most of their cases it took their life, not just because they died because they got older, but they got killed because they were sharing the gospel, because they were preaching Christ crucified and risen. We see those who are willing to suffer and endure hardship and loss and even die for their beliefs. We can see how the church has endured throughout the ages despite opposition. God continues to work through people in their life, uh, and we we see their, their stories of life change. And when we believe, it brings life, peace, dwelling of the Holy Spirit, blessing, and joy. And so if you have doubts, if there's been a roadblock in your faith that keeps it from growing, if you're struggling with questions, start with Jesus. For those who've already been there, return to Jesus. Embrace Jesus and who he is. And then let us move forward from there. For those who already believe, and maybe you haven't really struggled with doubt in, in this point in time, be a story of life change. Like John who said, hey, I got I to gotta share my story so that those who come after will know about this. Let's be that. Let's be a church of people who say, I share my story of how I walk with Jesus so that those who come after me can know about him who came before me. Because Jesus is God. And because of that, what he says matters. So let's surrender our life to him. Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing God. We thank you, Jesus, that you came in the form of a man, that you lived perfect life, so that when you gave up your life on the cross, you were a perfect sacrifice. So when we trust in you for the forgiveness of our sins, our sins are washed clean because of the work you did on the cross. <coughs> I thank you that you rose from the dead I thank you that you revealed yourself to Peter and John and to Mary Magdalene and to the other disciples and to 500 others and to James and to Paul and other apostles. I thank you that they weren't silent, that they so believed in what they saw that they shared that story and they lived that story, Father. 
Help us in our unbelief because we believe, Jesus, that you are God in heaven. We believe that you are the Son. You sit at the right hand of the throne of God. We believe that you laid down your life so that we could have life when we trust in you as our Lord and Savior. We believe you impart upon us the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. And you give us life, you give us peace, you give us power as we live in this life, as we witness the effects of sin all around, as we can reflect the sun to overcome the shadow. Let us be agents of change. Let's be agents of you, Jesus, and tell our story. Help us to grow in our faith. Help us to work through our doubts as we embrace you, Jesus. We love you. In your name, amen.